everyone. I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history. And today we are going to be talking about the case of Jameson Bachman, also known as the worst roommate ever. So towards the end of last year, I saw a message asking me if I'd watched the Netflix series Worst Roommate Ever and that one of the cases on there was absolutely insane. And I'd seen the series promoted on Netflix, but I hadn't actually gotten around to watching it. But then I watched it over Christmas, which honestly feels like so long ago now. But I watched it over Christmas and I was thinking, oh my God, they're right. This case is absolutely insane. I need to dig a little deeper. I need to cover this case. And that is what we are going to be doing today. We are going to be looking at the case of Jameson Buckman. He really is the worst roommate ever. And the worst roommate ever is honestly a bit of an understatement. This man was an absolute nightmare. Jameson Bachman was known as a serial squatter, which we will get into what a serial squatter is in the episode because I'd never actually heard of that term before this case. But basically over the years, he would go around, move in with various roommates and he would basically terrorize them. He was arrogant, he was manipulative, he was evil and he would make their lives a living hell. And some of the things that he did were just completely unbelievable But not only was he the worst roommate ever, this case ends in absolute tragedy. There is just so much to unpack in today's case. And I highly recommend the Netflix series Worst Roommate Ever if you haven't seen it yet. It's one of those series where every episode is a different case, but then the case of Jameson Bachman is the last case that they cover, but it's over two episodes because there's so much information. So you should definitely go watch that on Netflix after you've listened to this episode. So that is what we're going to get into today. So let's dive in. Jameson Buckman was born in 1957, an exact date of birth is not known, and he grew up in Elkins Park, Philadelphia, where he lived with his two parents and his older brother, Harry, and his older brother was four years older than him. Now, growing up, it has been said that Jameson was, quote, groomed for greatness. His dad owned a really successful construction company. The family were like pretty financially well off. They lived in a really nice neighborhood. They had a nice house. They just seemed to be that stereotypical high achiever family. The children were really academically intelligent. They were also really talented. They were really good at sports. But Jameson was definitely the favorite child. He was that golden child. He was the apple of his parents' eye. So even though Jameson and his brother Harry both of them were very intelligent, both of them were very talented. Jameson was always the one that was better. Even though he wasn't, in his parents' eyes though, he was the one that was better. He was the one that was put on a pedestal. He was the one that was always told he would succeed in life. He would achieve anything that he wanted. And this is even if Jameson did badly in school, because sometimes he did do badly in school. His parents, like, they would make excuses. They were like, oh, Jameson, you're so perfect. You're going to do so well. It would always be someone else's fault as well if Jameson didn't achieve in some way. And it got to a point where the praise and the attention that Jameson was getting from his parents was just really over the top and just like fake and forced. But Jameson loved it. Like he was lapping it up. He loved attention. He loves being the center of attention. He loves being that golden child, the favorite one. His older brother, Harry, never received this kind of attention from his parents. Even though Harry was equally, if not more intelligent, more talented than Jameson. And there was definitely definitely 100% sibling rivalry, which you can understand, especially coming from Harry, because he's probably thinking, hang on a minute, I got just as good grades. Why didn't I get that gift? Or why didn't I get that much praise? So of course, there's going to be sibling rivalry. However, it wasn't really coming from Harry. It was coming from Jameson, which just doesn't make sense. He hated whenever Harry got even the slightest bit of attention. Even though, like I've said, he was the golden child, it was very clear to everyone that he was the favorite, Jameson still thought that Harry was the one that they preferred. And Jameson, no matter how much praise and attention that he got from his parents, he always ended up being jealous of his brother Harry. And this sibling rivalry 
is something that really does come into play at the end of this case. And this is how Jameson grew up. He believed that he was going to be successful. There was no ifs or buts about it. It was destined for him and he didn't have to put in any work. So that was what Jameson was pretty much like at home. So now we move on to what he was like at school. And to be honest, he was the exact same. He has been described as, quote, the cockiest kid you'll ever meet. The way Jameson was treated at home definitely extended into what he was like at school. And it ended up that no one really liked him in school. He was actually the kid that everyone avoided because he was arrogant. He was loud. He just thought that he was better and more intelligent than everyone. He was just really obnoxious. But Jameson did have a couple of friends in school. And the two friends that he had were called Bob and Chip. And even to his so-called friends, Jameson was still a nightmare. He is definitely not the kind of friend that you would want. Even in his friendship group, he always had to be the one in charge. He was always bossing the other two around. He was also a really sore loser. So whenever the three of them played a game, they always had to make sure that Jameson won. So Jameson had these two friends. He should be grateful that these two friends even want to be around him because nobody else wanted to be around him. But for some reason, Jameson could not stand Skip. And Jameson did whatever he could to keep Bob away from Skip. He wanted Bob all to himself. And he was just really mean. He was just really horrible to Skip. He was definitely a bully. And he always just did whatever he could to be the center of attention and to be the only friend of Bob's. But this is just a theme throughout Jameson's life. He is a bully. He is arrogant. He thinks that he can get whatever he wants. And he likes being the center of attention. And he never likes to be wrong. That pretty much sums up his personality. So eventually in the mid-70s, Jameson does leave high school and he goes on to college to study for a law degree. And honestly, a law degree in the hands of someone like Jameson is bad news. Jameson wanted to become a lawyer and it's said that law is something that fascinated him. And this fascination of his with the law started when he was a child. And that is because his grandfather was an attorney. He was a defense lawyer. And it's said that when Jameson was a very young child, his grandfather used to take him to trials, like murder trials. Now you might be thinking, especially given what Jameson goes on to do later on in the case, you might be thinking, oh my God, you can't take a child to court. You can't take a child to watch murder trials. However, this is actually something that I relate to Jameson about, which is weird because honestly, I would have loved this. I really would. As weird as it sounds, I wish that my granddad or someone that I knew was an attorney and I wish that I was taken to court when I was younger to watch murder trials. From as young as the age of seven, I have also been fascinated by the law. And from the age of seven, I used to say to everyone, I am going to study law at university. I am going to get a law degree. But anyway, this is what started Jameson's fascination with law. Just jumping in here with a sponsor for all of my listeners in the US. So we are fully heading into summer now. You might have a jam-packed schedule planned, doing long days out here, there and everywhere. Well, with such long days comes the problem of what to eat for dinner. No one wants to cook after a long, hot summer's day out. Well, that is where Factor Meals comes in. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. They deliver nutritious meals prepared by their incredible chefs straight to your door. And all you have to do is heat the meal for two minutes and enjoy. How amazing does that sound? Their meals are never frozen. They are full of fresh ingredients. They are packed full of flavor and you can also customize to your exact dietary needs. You can get calorie smart options, vegan, vegetarian options, protein plus options and also the range of meals are incredible. One of my podcast team members over in the US recently tried a couple of boxes and they said that the jalapeno mac and 
cheese was to die for. The Tuscan chicken with cauliflower rice was amazing and that the shredded chicken bowl, which was their absolute favorite by the way, was cooked to perfection. Factor is also cheaper than takeout, faster than restaurant delivery. You can also get snacks and desserts. It really is a win-win all round. So this summer, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Head to factormeals.com forward slash criminal makeup 50 and use the code criminal makeup 50 to get 50% off. That's code criminal makeup 50 at factormeals.com forward slash criminal makeup 50 to get 50% off. It started off as an innocent fascination. So he's at college now. He's in his first year to get his law degree. And in his first year, something absolutely horrific happened. So one night in January of 1976, Jameson is hanging out with a few of his friends. He is actually at a fraternity house and he's there with friends. They're sat around a table. They're having fun. They're chatting. When all of a sudden this random man ran into the house and started violently stabbing Jameson's friend. This attack happened out of nowhere. I am literally talking friends sitting around a table and a man runs in and starts stabbing one of them. Everyone there is in absolute shock. They don't even know what the hell is happening. It happened so quickly. And the friend that is being stabbed is a boy called Ken. He is only 20 years old. And everyone is literally frozen in shock as this is happening. And just as it started to process what was happening to try and help Ken, the attacker lifted his knife and slit Ken's throat. And then he just ran out back out the door. Now Jameson and everyone else there ran over to Ken to try and stop the bleeding, to try and help save his life. But Ken very tragically lost his life. Jameson had witnessed in front of his own eyes, his friend be murdered. Now the attacker was determined to be a 25 year old man called Randy. And it turned out that Randy worked at one of the libraries on campus. And earlier on in that day, Randy and Ken got into a little bit of an argument because Ken was eating a cheese sandwich in the library and Randy asked him to stop and Ken refused to stop eating. They got into a little bit of an argument and that is why Randy killed Ken over a sandwich. And what is the worst part about all of this? Because Randy and Ken got into an argument, Randy claimed that it was self-defense and he got away with the murder. What the actual hell? I feel like that is a case in itself and I didn't have any time to do any more digging, but what the hell? How is that self-defense? You had an argument earlier on in the day over a sandwich. How is killing anyone over a sandwich self-defense? And poor Ken lost his life over the sandwich and he was only 20 years old and it's just horrible. But the reason why I have told you that story, because obviously I have gone into quite a lot of detail, is because this event absolutely traumatized Jameson. It is said that Jameson was never the same after this incident. His personality just completely changed. He became more shut off from the world. He was more paranoid, more reclusive, more isolated. It also probably affected him that Randy got away with the murder as well. And later that year, Jameson dropped out of college. I I don't exactly know why, but I feel like that event traumatized him so much. He was just struggling. He couldn't cope anymore. And he went off grid. He dropped out of college and just disappeared. His friends wouldn't hear from him. He wouldn't really be in contact with family. And it would be like this for the next 20 years. So we now get to the late 1990s. And this is 20 years after Jameson has dropped out of college. And he really has been off grid for those 20 years. He just disappeared. And after being off grid for so long, he just turns up in his hometown in Philadelphia. And what does he do? He meets up with his friend, Bob. Remember his friend, Bob from high school, the one that he was pretty much obsessed with. Well, Jameson meets up with Bob and he starts telling Bob what he's been doing for those 20 years. Now I must say, we have to take everything that Jameson says with a grain of salt. But he first said that he spent some time in Israel and he served in the military there. He then met a woman from the Netherlands. He fell in love with her and moved to the Netherlands. And then when he was in the Netherlands, he 
went to university to study Japanese. It's just like random. All of those three things, so random. And now that Jameson was back from the Netherlands, he needed somewhere to stay because he had nowhere to go. And this is basically why he met up with his friend Bob because he wanted to be a freeloader and stay at his friend's house. So Bob felt really uncomfortable. I mean, this was his best friend or at least one of his best friends from high school, but he hadn't heard from him in 20 years. He all of a sudden shows up and he's basically asking to stay at his house. He felt like he was in a position where he couldn't say no. So he ended up saying yes, and this would be a decision that he would soon regret because Jameson was an absolute nightmare. And in particular, Bob's wife found him infuriating because most of the time Jameson would just sit around and complain. Complain about everything. Complain about how his life has turned out, but also complain about his brother Harry. How it wasn't fair that Harry was successful. He would complain that it should have been him that was successful, not his brother Harry. And of course he blamed everything else other than himself. And I would love to know what he was actually doing in those 20 years because I don't buy his stories. The experience that he went through when he was at university in the US where his friend was murdered, I think we can all agree that that was traumatizing, that that would have a significant impact on someone's life. But what else happened in those 20 years that defined Jameson to become the serial squatter. But anyway, Jameson is bitching and moaning about everything, not taking any responsibility or accountability for his own actions, for the way his life has turned out. And he also started to say like all of these weird things and Bob and his wife just didn't know whether to believe him or not. He started to say that his dad was really abusive towards him and he really hated his mom and he hated his mom from the age of eight years old. But whilst we don't know if any of that is true, we do know that he cut himself off from his family. He didn't really have anything to do with them over those 20 years. And of course, he's now gone to Bob for somewhere to live, not someone from his family. And he cut his family off so much and he hated his family so much that when his dad died, he refused to go to the funeral. However, he still turned up for when the will was read out because he was hoping to get some money. And I feel like that just sums up Jameson. So he was living with Bob for a short time, but Bob's wife just couldn't take it anymore and she decided to kick Jameson out. So Jameson, with no one else to turn to, he was now just left on the streets. He had nowhere else to go. And honestly, I don't know what he does from this point. Like, I don't. There's definitely some holes in this story because the next thing I know, it is the early 2000s. Jameson is now in his mid 40s and he decides that, you know what, it is now time for me to get my law degree. He is desperate to become a lawyer. He has always made it very clear that that is what he wants to do. And he goes to university to get his law degree. He's finally achieved what he has always wanted. Now, just because you have a law degree, that doesn't mean you can actually practice law because now he needs to pass the bar exam. But at his first attempt at taking the bar exam, he failed. And he was so outraged because the kind of person he was. He was like, oh my God, I failed. How dare I fail? I deserve to pass. And he failed once and there is nothing wrong with failing. You can take the exam again. But Jameson decided to not take the bar exam again. After that one time he failed, he gave up. So even though he has a law degree, he actually is not a practicing lawyer, which definitely left Jameson very angry and resentful. And I did just want to make that distinction that he is not a practicing lawyer because I did see some things online saying that he was a lawyer and he's not. Just because you have a law degree, that doesn't mean you're a lawyer. He's technically no more qualified than me. So because he couldn't practice law, he still decided to use his law degree in very evil ways. And this is when Jameson pretty much becomes a serial squatter. Now, what is a serial squatter? Because you may not have heard of one before. And I'm sure you're probably all familiar with the term squatter, but a serial squatter is basically just somebody that moves from one rental place to the next rental place to the next rental place, and they never become a legal tenant. And by doing this, they end up not paying rent. So they essentially just move from 
one place to the other and get free accommodation. And it's usually the same kind of story in these serial squatter cases. They move in on false pretenses. Sometimes they use a fake name. Sometimes they give fake details. They do tend to target very vulnerable people that they can take advantage of. And a lot of the time as well, they do pay the first month's rent to get their foot in the door. And then after that first month, they pretty much don't pay anything. And that person will stay in the property for as long as possible before they eventually get evicted. And then once they're evicted, they move on to the next place. They move on to the next victim. And this cycle just goes on and on and on. And that is what a serial squatter is. And most of the time, people find it really hard to evict these people because they have squatters' rights. Because laws are obviously different all around the world, and the laws on this are probably different state to state in the US. But a lot of the time, the squatters' rights, the laws surrounding this, favor the squatters rather than the legal tenants or the landlords. So these squatters, they move in and because the law a lot of the time is in their favor, it is so hard to evict them. And sometimes it can take months to get these people out of your home. It is such a scary situation to be in. And a lot of the times the people that are doing this have a very good knowledge of the law and they use it to their advantage. And this is exactly what Jameson did. He studied tenancy laws. He studied everything and he is really, really intelligent. However, Jameson would go one step further because these serial squatters, most of the time, their objective is to just get free accommodation. However, Jameson thrived on destroying people's lives. And Jameson's serial squatting days started after he failed the bar exam. And one of the first victims that we know of, so I just wanna stress that there may have been more before this, but the first victim that we know of was actually a school that he worked for. So for some reason, Jameson was able to get a job as a teacher. I don't know how he managed to get this. And this school that he got a job at was a private school in New York. It was a very fancy ass school. And this was one of the fancy schools where the teachers would live on campus. So Jameson was given this really fancy apartment. So Jameson moved to New York. He moved into this apartment, living his best life. However, this job wouldn't last very long because he wasn't a very good teacher. Because he is arrogant. He thought that he was better than everybody. He thought that he was better than all of the other teachers. And it wasn't long until he was fired. And because he was fired, he had to leave his fancy apartment. And did Jameson take too kindly to this? No. He flat out refused to leave. And Jameson put his legal knowledge to the test and he took the school two months to legally evict him. And this whole process seemed to light a fire in Jameson. He loved that he was able to use his legal knowledge and have power over somebody else. And it almost became an addiction for him, seeking this power. And he got such a thrill out of squatting at this school that he decided that he was going to do it again. And this is when he moves on to his next victim, a woman called Arlene. Now this was in 2005. Arlene was currently 43 years old. She was a professional dog walker and she lived in an apartment in Queens with her four cats. And Arlene met Jameson one day when Jameson was walking his dog in the park because at some point Jameson got a dog. And I actually worry about how he got this dog and you'll know why I'm worried about that in just a minute. So Jameson met Arlene in the park and the two of them pretty much hit it off straight away and they start dating. Now, in the beginning of their relationship, Jameson was very arrogant. He was always showing off. He was always bragging about the fact that he had a law degree and he was so intelligent. And he also started complaining to Arlene that he had been fired from that private school unfairly. They had kicked him out of his accommodation and now he was homeless on the streets with his dog. Now, Arlene, their relationship was very, very new. It was very casual at this point. She felt bad for him. I mean, she was dating him and now he was homeless. So she told Jameson that he could stay with her whilst he got his feet back on the ground as long as he helped pay bills. Now, Jameson was over the moon with this. He was like, oh, of course, of course, I'll pay for the bills. I'll pay half for everything. So it was in June of 2006 that Jameson shows up with a U-Haul 
old van and moves into Arlene's apartment. And it didn't take long for the red flags to start popping up left, right, and center. The red flags pretty much started showing up on day one. So he moves in and the very next day, Arlene returns home from work. And when she enters her apartment, all of the furniture has been moved. And this is on day one. And I'm talking about whole living room furniture. Everything has been rearranged. Who the hell rearranges someone else's home? Everything was in a completely different place. And Arlene walks in and she's like, what the hell is going on? The sofa has been moved. Everything in the living room has been moved. The beds have been moved. It was literally like she was walking into a different apartment. And this seems pretty harmless. It definitely seems weird, but it does seem pretty harmless. I mean, I would lose it. I would hate it if I was living with someone for one day and they had moved and touched all of my stuff. But it's not the biggest deal in the world. Someone has just moved a little bit of furniture around. Is that the biggest deal? No. And there was actually a very good reason for Jameson to do this. He wanted his victims to feel unsettled. He wanted them to feel paranoid in their own home. But also he wanted to show them that he had that power. He had that power over them. And this whole rearranging furniture is something that Jameson would do with pretty much every victim. And this was just the start because over the next coming weeks, he would do all of these little weird things. He would continue to rearrange the furniture but he would also complain to Arlene over the smallest things. He would complain that the windows wouldn't open properly, that the toilet didn't flush properly, that there was dirty dishes on the side. And because of all of this, he was not paying rent. Oh no, she violated his rights. And this weird and bizarre behavior went on for months. And remember that Arlene and Jameson are dating. Well, that relationship does eventually break down. I mean, can you blame Arlene? And this went on for months and Arlene decided that she'd had enough. Like she wanted this man out of her home. He was taking advantage of her. He was not paying bills. He was not paying his half of the rent. He was constantly just bullying her and being a nightmare to live with. So she decided to get the police involved. She went to the police and she said that this man living with her, Jameson, is driving her insane. She wanted to get permission to change the locks because he's not technically a tenant. Like that is her apartment. Surely she should be allowed to change the locks if she wanted to. But the police told her that she wasn't allowed to change the locks. Even though Jameson wasn't a legal tenant, he still had the right to live there. If Arlene changed the locks, she would actually be the one arrested. I know, can you believe that? Arlene, oh my God, I feel for her so much. She has allowed this man into her apartment to live with her because she felt sorry for him because he was on the street. And now she is being told that she will be arrested if she changes the locks to her own home. Jameson had squatter's rights. He was living in the building. He was getting his mail delivered to the building. And there was no way for Arlene to get him out of her home. She would need to get the landlord involved, but also the courts. And unbelievably, I can't actually believe that this happened. Jameson was living there for weeks. Then it turned into months. And then it turned into years. Jameson ended up staying with Arlene for the next four years. Four years Arlene had to have this man in her apartment causing her hell. So remember, they're not together. They're not a couple anymore, but they had started off as a couple. So they had started off sharing a bedroom. But even though the relationship had broken down, Jameson was refusing to leave the main bedroom. And Arlene, obviously not wanting to stay in the same room as him, also had to move out of her own bedroom and start living in the spare room. I can't believe that Jameson has literally just come into Arlene's life and taken over. But it gets worse. It really does. After four years, Arlene had had enough. I honestly don't know how she lasted four years. Jameson had been living there rent-free, not paying for any bills. He had kicked her out of her own bedroom and Arlene lost it. She confronted Jameson. She threw some bills in his face and she was like, these bills need paying. You better pay them. And she just couldn't control her anger and her rage. And she slapped him and Jameson lost it. When Arlene slapped him, 
he just grabbed her throat and started choking her. In response to this, Arlene kicked Jameson as hard as she could and thankfully she was able to get away and she ran out of the apartment and dialed 911 and officers came out and they managed to calm down the situation. But Arlene knew that this was the final straw. Like she couldn't take this anymore. She was actually scared of Jameson at this point. So she filed for an order of protection against him and she also filed for his eviction. However, Unbelievably, things get even worse for Arlene from this moment. I know, it's like, how does it get worse than this? So first of all, even though she had filed for an order of protection, Jameson also filed for an order of protection against Arlene, which is crazy that he was able to do that when Arlene has done nothing. So essentially this meant that they needed to stay apart from each other, but they also lived with one another. So that was a very complicated situation. But as soon as Jameson realized that Arlene had filed for his eviction, he was not happy about this. So he filed a fake police report saying that Arlene had attacked him with a knife. And unbelievably, the police believed him. The police believed him. Are you being serious? So Arlene ended up being arrested and charged and given one year's probation. All from this fake police report. And because of all of this, Arlene was forced to move out of her own apartment. So now Jameson was living in this apartment legally on his own. However, it gets even worse for Arlene from this moment. Because if you remember, Arlene has four cats and she has now been evicted from her own apartment and her cats are still in the apartment. So she needs to file for a court order to get them. However, the court system works very, very slowly. And whilst the cats are in Jameson's care, two of her cats had ongoing illnesses and Jameson took those two cats and drops them off at a kill shelter. I couldn't believe it. I am so angry. What the actual hell? Why couldn't he have just given those two cats back to Arlene? Arlene would have looked after them. She was looking after them. And as soon as Arlene found out that two of her cats had been dropped off at a kill shelter, she ran to that shelter to try and get her cats back. But very sadly, it was too late for one of her cats. One of her cats had just become way too ill and the shelter had euthanized the cat. But Arlene was able to get one of her cats back from the shelter. However, the two other cats that were still living with Jameson, Arlene would never see those two cats again. If you are a pet owner, can you even imagine? I, I couldn't, I couldn't. That would be my worst nightmare. And that is why I said that I worry about how Jameson got the dog that he owns. Because all I keep thinking is, did he steal that dog from someone else? So now we get to 2012 and Jameson is 55 years old. And you guessed it, he's moving on to his next victim, who is a woman called Sonia. Now, Sonia was currently 49 years old. She lived in an apartment in Queens and following a breakup, she was looking for a new roommate because she was really struggling to pay her mortgage. She put an ad on Craigslist and who responded to that ad? Jameson. And things moved very quickly. They were supposed to just meet to see if like things were going to work out. But Jameson turned up with a U-Haul van like he was already about to move in. And Sonia was like, whoa, what the hell? This is moving very fast. What is going on? But he turned up and he was willing to pay her the first month's rent right there and then. And Sonia was in a very vulnerable position. She really desperately needed the money. And Jameson seemed like a great guy. Like he had this dog, he had the two cats, which are obviously Arlene's cats. He was a lawyer even though he wasn't, but he was saying that he was a lawyer. And she just thought, oh, my prayers have been answered. Like I need money. And this man has showed up and he's willing to pay me right now. And she let him move in because she felt like she had no other option because she needed to pay her mortgage. Otherwise she was going to lose her home. And at first, Jameson was actually a nice roommate. Bet you weren't expecting that, were you? And Sonia and Jameson almost became close friends. And they really enjoyed spending time together. At least Sonia really enjoyed spending time with Jameson. However, after those few months, things start to go downhill. After the two to three months, Jameson stopped paying rent. He started just being a little bit more confrontational, a little bit more aggressive. And he was walking around the apartment as if it was his apartment, like he owned it. And Sonia was thinking, I need to get him out. Like I need to get this man out of my apartment. He's not paying me rent anymore. And 
he's being a nightmare to live with, so I'm going to get him out. So Sonia does exactly the same thing as Arlene. She goes to the authorities and says to them, can I change the locks? Can I just one day change the locks and not let this man back in? But again, Sonia was told the exact same thing, that that would be against the law, that Jameson has rights. He has squatters rights. And she can't change the locks because that goes against his rights. And I just find this so crazy. I really do. What about her rights as a homeowner? What about her rights as a human? She was told that she would have to file for eviction through the courts and wait at least three months because that was Jameson's squatter's rights. But Sonia couldn't wait this long. She was already struggling to pay her mortgage, which is why she got a roommate in the first place. And now Jameson is not paying her. She is again struggling to pay her mortgage. She is really worried that she is going to lose her home. So what does Sonia do? She has to get another roommate. And because there is no other spare bedrooms in the apartment, this new roommate has to sleep in a tent in the living room, which I have never heard of that happening before. But Sonia had no other option but to do this, to make her mortgage payments. But Jameson wasn't happy about this, was he? Oh no, he did not want another person in that apartment. And Jameson started to make this new roommate's life hell as well. And Jameson as well, he just has this energy about him. Like he's so negative and he's such a bully, he would be the kind of person that if they walked into the room, you would immediately tense up because you wouldn't know what mood they were in. At any moment, they can fly off the handle. Jameson is a very intimidating, very aggressive person. And Jameson also would break into the tent in the living room and go through the new roommate's belongings. But he wasn't just going into the tent and going through the new person's belongings. He was also going into Sonia's room and going through her belongings as well, which is honestly the worst, like just someone going into your space when you don't know. And how did Sonia know that Jameson was going through her room and going through her things? Well, she did the good old bustle behind the door trick. Have any of you guys ever done this where you put a bottle behind your door? Normally like a water bottle, Sonia used a wine bottle and you place it right behind your door. So if someone goes into your room, they move the bottle without knowing and then when you come back, you can see if the bottle has been moved. Have any of you guys done that? I will admit I have done that because I suspected that someone was going into my room and I was right. While Sonia did this, she used a wine bottle. She put the wine bottle behind her door and then when she returned home from work, the wine bottle was against the wall, not behind the door. So as soon as she figures out that Jameson is going through her room, she goes and confronts him. And Jameson tries to intimidate her. He gets all up in her face, shouting at her, intimidating her. Now, Sonia was not scared of him. She was not backing down. And Sonia had actually gone through a very traumatic experience. One of her friends had been murdered. And because of this, she had taken self-defense lessons. So she wasn't scared of Jameson. She knew knew what to do if he did lay hands on her. Eventually, the roommate that was living in the living room in the tent, they couldn't take this environment anymore and eventually they did move out. So it was just Sonia and Jameson and things were just getting worse and worse for Sonia. She wasn't able to make her mortgage payments. She was really falling behind and the debt was piling up and it was just getting more toxic in that apartment. It was just getting more aggressive, more violent. And then Hurricane Sandy hit and Sonia evacuated her apartment and she left Jameson there. And when she returned, Jameson had gone and he never returned. And that is eventually how Sonia got him out of her apartment. However, it was too late. She had already failed too many payments on her mortgage and she lost her home. Her home that she had worked so hard for. Again, Jameson has ruined somebody else's life. And unfortunately, there are so many more victims to come. So now we get to the end of 2012, just after Hurricane Sandy. And is Jameson about to stop being a serial squatter? Of course not. Because for the next five years, he would have many more victims. So the next victim is a woman called Melissa and Jameson moved in with her. He sold her this sob story that he had lost everything in Hurricane Sandy. He had lost his home. He had nowhere to go. And Melissa felt sorry for him. So she let him move in. Again, he became an absolute nightmare. I feel like it's just a broken record. He is the same. He makes the person that he moves in with uneasy by moving things around. He refused to pay rent to Melissa. He became 
became physically aggressive as always. And there was one argument over Jameson's microwave because Melissa was just fed up and she was like, you know what? If you're gonna be so unreasonable, I'm going to be unreasonable as well. And I don't want your microwave in my kitchen. So she picks up his microwave and she walks up the stairs to put the microwave in his bedroom. And Jameson lost it because he was like, oh no, I'm not having this person stand up to me. How dare she? So Melissa is stood at the top of the stairs with the microwave and she's trying to hand Jameson the microwave and he grabs onto her shoulders and almost pushes her down the stairs holding the microwave. But thankfully, Melissa's friend shows up at the bottom of the stairs. And as soon as Jameson sees the friend, he kind of composes himself a little bit and he thinks, oh, okay, better not push her down the stairs. But it's just so scary to think what could have happened if that friend hadn't turned up. Because there is an interview with Melissa where you see the stairs that she's talking about and they're very steep. So I was bringing his um, microwave up the stairs. It was big and bulky. And as I was coming towards his door, he came out and started shoving me backwards. And I got to just the top of the stair when my friend came around the corner and was coming up the stairs. So he stopped short of pushing me down the stairs. Very dangerous. Like he could have done a lot of damage to her if he had pushed her down the stairs. And he just completely took over Melissa's home like he did with the last victims. And he actually said to Melissa that she would do well in life. She's pretty, like she could get by. And he actually said to her, you have this home. Oh, well, no, you don't have this home anymore. This is my home. He actually had the audacity to say that to Melissa. Again, Melissa tried to get him evicted, but as we have come to realize, it is not that simple. And Jameson launched a ton of lawsuits against Melissa, making counterclaims to all of her reasons in her eviction claim. And Melissa said, quote, the effort he put into doing this was life consuming. It was literally like serial squatting had become Jameson's full-time job. And he got a kick out of it. He got a kick out of using his legal knowledge. He got a kick filing all of these lawsuits. And I just want to stress, he probably never planned to follow through with these lawsuits because uh, that costs money sometimes and he doesn't have any. But he just wants to use the law to intimidate people. He wants to make people think that he is above them. He wants to make people feel powerless to him. And it took months for Melissa to get rid of him, but she finally did in the end, thank God. And there are many more victims. Like, I can't believe it. There's so many more. In 2015, Jameson moved in with a man called Mark. And Jameson would literally spend his days walking around with a baseball bat trying to intimidate Mark. In 2017, Jameson moved in with a man called Michael, who Jameson terrorized just like all of the others. Again, in early 2017, he moved in with a man called Neville, who again, he terrorized and he actually violently attacked Neville with a broken coffee table leg. There were a couple of more other roommates, but we don't know their names. But we do know one of those other roommates was a woman and Jameson tried to sue her because allegedly she had given him herpes when he lived with her. I know, have you ever heard of something so ridiculous? I mean, I actually have heard of people suing over STDs and stuff, so it doesn't seem ridiculous to me. But with Jameson, it's just ridiculous. It really is because we know it's fake. And the other roommate, Jameson, just repeatedly disrespected the place and he would constantly clog up the toilet with cat litter. And he did this just for the fun of it, just to wind up his roommate and the picture of this toilet with the cat litter in, honestly disgusting. And I still wanna point out that that cat litter belongs to Arlene's cats. Yeah, still wanna point out that he has Arlene's cats. And this went over and over and over. He has so many victims and he probably has more victims than we know of because there are so many blocks of time where we don't know where he is. We don't know what he's doing. And we know that he doesn't have much money. Where else is he going to go? So I wouldn't be surprised if there are so many more victims. And then we get to Jameson's final victim, a woman called Alex Miller. And from this point forward, it would all go downhill for Jameson. So Alex was a 31 year old woman living in Philadelphia and her roommate had just recently moved out and she needed another roommate to help pay the bills. She put an ad on Craigslist and there wasn't much luck. Two weeks later, her ad was still there. No one had really shown any interest until a man contacted her 
And this man was Jameson Bachman. But he didn't say that his name was Jameson Bachman. Oh no, he said that his name was Jed Creek. He said that he was a lawyer and he was a lawyer in New York and he wanted to move back to Philadelphia. He needed to be by family. He used this sob story that a family member was ill and he needed to be close to this family member. Again, he likes to put on this sob story, reel the person in, make the person feel sorry for him. So Jameson, who is obviously going by the name Jed, arranges to meet Alex to see if there would be a good fit to live together. The main concern was that Jameson Jameson has a dog and Alex also has a dog and she wanted to make sure that the two dogs were going to get along. So the two of them meet up, the dogs meet and the dogs actually get on. And Alex is thinking, oh my God, this could actually work. The dogs are getting along. Jameson or Jed, should I say, seems like a great guy. He's a lawyer. He would be a respectable person. She was also desperate for a roommate. She needed someone to move in to help pay the bills. So Alex agrees for Jed to move in. And just like every other victim, this would be a decision that she regrets. So Jed turns up and we obviously know that he has a dog, but Alex didn't know that he also had a cat. Also, I want to point out that he only has one cat at this point. I don't know what happened to the second cat, unfortunately. And Alex, when she sees the cat, she's like, um, you didn't say anything about a cat. I'm allergic to cats. So when Jameson moved in, Alex gave him some paperwork to sign because obviously he needed to become a legal tenant. But he kept putting off the paperwork. He kept putting it off and putting it off because if he signed the paperwork, he technically wouldn't be a squatter. And we all know that that's what he is. He wants his squatter's rights. So he kept putting off the paperwork, kept delaying it. And then after a few days of him living there, Alex's furniture starts to get moved around. This is his tactic. This is what he likes to do. All of a sudden, Alex came home from work and she went to turn on the light, but the light wouldn't come on. And that is because Jameson had taken all of the bulbs out of the lights. Who the hell steals bulbs? Who? Who? The next thing that happened is that she came home and she had a dining room table and there were six chairs around the table but all of the chairs were gone. The table was still there, but the chairs were gone. So Alex knocks on Jameson's door and I'm calling him Jameson. Remember that she thinks his name is Jed, but it's just gonna get confusing. So she knocks on Jameson's door and when he opens the door, she sees that all six of her dining room chairs are in his room and he's made this like makeshift desk with the chairs and she's like, what are you doing with the chairs? Put the chairs back. And he's just playing these mind games. He always does this. And Jameson was like, you don't need all these chairs. There are six chairs here, but there are only two people that live here. You don't need all of these chairs. So he gave her two chairs. Already, Jameson was an absolute nightmare. He did seem to become a nightmare quicker for Alex. And again, he used the same tactic of if there was anything wrong with the apartment in any kind of way, that would be his excuse to not pay rent. There was one time where he accused Alex of putting a cigarette butt down the toilet. And because of that, he refused to pay rent. He said to her, quote, you should know about the warranty of habitability. Again, using words that no one ever uses, trying to use his legal knowledge to intimidate people. And Jameson was making Alex's life hell and Alex was venting to her mom about Jameson. So Alex's mom said, what's his name? What's his number? So Alex gave her mom Jameson's details, or should I say Jed Creek's details. So Alex's mom, bless her, goes away, starts Googling, starts putting on her detective hat, trying to figure out who the hell this man is. And this is when she finds out that Jed Creek is not actually Jed Creek. This man is Jameson Bachman, and they find articles about him online that he is a serial squatter. The previous victim, Melissa, had actually written an article about him, and she exposed Jameson for what he was. And Alex, as soon as she saw this article, she was like, oh my God, this man is in my home. So now she starts thinking, what am I going to do? I need to get this man out of my home as quickly as possible. So she decided to throw a party, which I know sounds bizarre, but honestly, this was genius. And she called the party, quote, a send-off for the serial squatter Jameson Buckman party. Now, Alex decided to throw a party because this is exactly what Jameson 
hated. Jameson hated noise. He hated drinking. He hated fun. He hated everything. He hated loud music. So Alex decided, okay, I'm going to do all of those things and throw a party and drive you out. And this party was absolutely genius. Alex invited about 30 people. They served Jameson whiskey, which honestly, such a nice touch. And they printed off the articles by Melissa, anything else that they could find, they printed off those articles and stuck them on the wall around the apartment. So Jameson would know that Alex knew his true identity and what he was up to. So on May the 1st, 2017, this party went down. And I do take so much joy in this party because I love it that someone is now messing with his head. He has done this to so many people, too many people. And I love it that now he is being messed with. So the music was blaring, the articles were all stuck on the walls. Everyone was drinking Jameson whiskey. People were smoking in the apartment, which is something else that Jameson hated. And people were actually smoking and blowing the cigarette smoke under his door. And everyone at the party knew what was going on and everyone was in on it trying to drive Jameson out. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in Jameson's room at this point. Can you imagine how worked up he was getting, how angry he was getting that someone had figured out what he was doing and fighting back. And eventually he got so annoyed, he stormed out of his bedroom and left the apartment. He went for a walk, he wanted to call off. And Alex and her friends as soon as he left the apartment, they took a screwdriver and they removed his door handle. Again, genius. So when Jameson returned home, the party had died down a little bit. He went into his bedroom and he realized that he couldn't shut his door. Now, as the party died down, Alex was really hoping that it had had the effect that she wanted. She wanted Jameson to move out. And Alex was actually planning on having a party pretty much every single day until Jameson moved out. However, the party, it didn't have the effect that she was hoping for because Jameson is a violent, angry person. So the day after the party, Alex was up early. It was 4.30 a.m. And Jameson also happened to be up at this time. And this is when he took out his revenge. Alex went into the bathroom to get ready for the day and Jameson followed. He slammed the bathroom door open. He pushed her against the wall and he put his hands around her throat and just started choking her. And he said, quote, you made a grave mistake you stupid girl. Jameson then eventually let Alex go and walked off back to his bedroom. But this confrontation had really angered Alex because she was just like, who the hell do you think you are? You're in my home. And that is exactly what she said to him. She followed him to his bedroom and she said, who the hell do you think you are? But when Alex did this, Jameson, again, didn't take too kindly to this and he lunged at her. And because she was standing in the doorway, he slammed the door shut, but her leg got caught in the door. He then kept repeatedly slamming the door on her leg at least 10 times. Oh my God, the pain. And then I can't believe this. He got a knife and just started slashing at Alex's leg. Now, eventually Alex managed to escape, but oh my God, she must have been in agony. And luckily she managed to get to her bedroom and lock herself in. She called out the police and the police arrived straight away and Alex informed them of what happened and Jameson Bachman was finally arrested. He was charged with aggravated assault and he would never go back to Alex's apartment again. So Jameson is now in jail and I wish I could say that he stayed there, but he doesn't because Jameson was furious. I think Alex had really pushed his buttons. I think he didn't like it that she had beaten him. So in June of 2017, when Jameson is in jail, he calls his brother, his older brother, Harry, to come and bail him out. And this is where Harry re-enters the story. Harry is the brother, if you remember, that Jameson has a severe sibling rivalry with. He is also the brother that Jameson hasn't really had anything to do with for decades. So when Jameson phoned Harry up to come and bail him out, even though the relationship was definitely frosty, 
he didn't want to see his little brother in jail and he bailed him out. And you would think that Jameson would be grateful that Harry bailed him out, but he wasn't. Because Harry, very sadly, is soon about to be pulled into this terrible world that Jameson has created. So this all started four months after the initial arrest in October of 2017. And it was in October that Jameson got re-arrested for violating the protection order against Alex. So Jameson is back in jail and he phones up his older brother again, Harry, to bail him out again. So when Harry bails out Jameson this time from jail, Jameson asks if if he can crash at Harry's house. However, Harry knows that his younger brother can be quite aggressive and violent and Harry has his own family to think about. So he refuses to let his brother stay with him. And this is when Jameson's rage and his rivalry with his brother really started to bubble over. All of that hate and that rage that he had directed at his brother came out and he wanted revenge on his brother. For so long of this video, we have been talking about him being a serial squatter. And now we've looped back round to the very beginning of this video where he literally hates his brother and he has this severe rivalry with him. He hated the fact that Harry had a successful career, that Harry had a family, that Harry had this really nice house. And Jameson was just like, this is not fair. This is not fair. And I'm going to do something about it. So on the night of the 3rd of November, Jameson decided to pay a visit to Harry at his home. Jameson went into the house and and we don't actually know the exact events of what happened. However, we do know that Jameson launched a vicious attack on his brother Harry. He started beating his brother with his own hands, which he did so over and over and Harry was beaten so badly that tragically by the end of the attack, Harry had suffered so much blunt force trauma to the head that Harry had lost his life. Following the attack, Jameson dragged his brother's body down into the basement. He got changed into his brother's clothes, stole his brother's credit card and fled the scene and checked into a nearby hotel using his brother's credit card. And he checked into the hotel under his brother's name. And I can't believe we have now just covered the murder of Jameson's brother. I just don't get it. Like, I really don't. His hatred for his brother ran so deep. And it just doesn't make sense because Harry never actually did anything to Jameson but help him. So a few hours after the murder, Harry's wife was out of town and she realized that she couldn't get hold of Harry, which was very, very unusual. So she called the police for them to perform a welfare check. And this is when the police came across the horror scene and Harry's brutally beaten body. And it didn't take the police long to figure out that Harry's credit card had been taken. And it also didn't take them long to figure out that the credit card had been used at a nearby hotel and a SWAT team was immediately sent to the hotel. So when the SWAT team arrived at the hotel, they found out the room that the person was staying in that had used Harry's credit card and they broke down the door. They found Jameson inside, but he wasn't about to be taken without a fight. When the SWAT team confronted Jameson, Jameson pulls out an axe. And he just starts swinging it at the officers. It's crazy. Like, where did you get an axe from? He hit one of the officers in the face with the axe, as well as striking another one in the arm. But finally, thankfully, they detained him and arrested him. Following the arrest, Jameson was taken into custody and he was charged with the murder of his brother, Harry. However, Jameson would never make it to the trial because whilst he was in jail awaiting trial, on the 8th of December 2017, Jameson Bachman had hung himself in his cell and taken his own life. And I just can't believe that this case ended like that. I just, I just can't believe it. It's still now, even though I've done all the research, this case is crazy. I don't think I've ever heard of such an extreme case of a serial squatter before. And I just can't believe that it's a thing. Like it actually is a thing. People are serial squatters. And I cannot believe how many lives these serial squatters, not just Jameson, how many lives these serial squatters destroy. And Jameson wasn't your typical serial squatter because most serial squatters, their goal is to get free accommodation. But Jameson, his goal didn't really seem to be 
free accommodation. His goal was to terrorize people, to destroy people. He got a thrill on the power that he had over these victims. And I think he thrived on the fact that he had a law degree. I think that made him feel powerful. But in the end, I think the fact that Alex had fought back and actually drove him out and he didn't leave on his own terms, I think it made him spiral. And all of Jameson's issues clearly are focused on his brother. Harry Bachman was described as a kind and loving man. He had a huge passion for architecture, which he had had a long and distinguished career in. But he also had a huge passion for his family. He was a husband, a father to two children, and a grandfather to three children. He is missed by all of them. And tragically, his life was taken too soon at the hands of his own brother. He was only 64 years old. And then there are so many other victims of Jameson from this story. Some victims that we don't even know of. And some of the victims from this story, they are actually in that Netflix series. And they are still now to this day trying to rebuild their lives. And that brings us to the end of the episode on Jameson Buckman. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one.